thank you to those of you who are joining us online, uh, on Facebook particularly. I want to believe God that um, you are able to hear us very well and see us very well. It is a, a big privilege indeed for us to be able to do this. We are such a blessed generation. We're a very blessed generation. And um, I don't want us to take light the things that we are seeing around us today. Those of us that have come from, from, from a little bit of history can tell you that you know, the things we are able to do so easily and so simply today used to be very, very difficult to do. Very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. In fact, at times, impossible. But here we are. God is helping us. So let us not let him down. The wisdom of God is moving in the, in, on the face of the earth for an outpouring of his spirit. And technology is going to play a key role as we await the coming of the Lord. It is the same technology that will play the key role for the Antichrist to rule after Jesus comes. But before that time, it will be used massively to evangelize the world. Let us not be left out. Let us keep going. And may God continue to help us in Jesus' name. I want to believe, God, that you are enjoying our series on uh, entering supernatural overflow. It is our first series in the year 2021. And those of you that may not be aware, this is a teaching church. We are very, very emphatic on what we deliver on a Sunday-to-Sunday basis because that's our mandate. So we concentrate on teaching methodologically and in a structured fashion. Now, that doesn't have to be the way every church operates. Every church should operate as God, as God gives them a mandate. So every time we run series, some four-part, five-part, some eight-part, some nine-part, some uh, ten-part, and so on. I think that's about the longest we've run. Twelve-part series was probably the longest we have run. But um, as God orchestrates it, this is a five-part series, which started a couple of weeks ago on uh, the theme, Entering Supernatural Overflow, as you can see in the banner. We are on the third session. Having looked at thanksgiving and praise, we are today looking at worship for supernatural overflow. Worship for supernatural overflow. So in this third session, we have established that both thanksgiving and praise allows us to enter into God's courts with praise. Uh, The Bible says in Psalm 100 verse 4, it says, enter into the gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So we understand that both thanksgiving and praise gives us access to God's courts, uh, to God's gates and God's courts, which we have explained in the last couple of weeks. If you have uh, time, please go over those messages. They are available on uh, our YouTube channel, LiveGate Outreach TV. And if you prefer audio, we have them on all most Android and iOS platforms. Just look for LiveGate Outreach Center on most audio channels, most podcasts. We are there. Just look for LiveGate Outreach Center and subscribe. And um, it is a privilege for us to be able to be there. We have over 200 messages on those podcasts. Please take time to subscribe and be getting them regularly. And this is very important for us. When we know that, yes, this is what Thanksgiving is and praise does, worship much more refers to having a qualitative lifestyle of sacrificial reverence to God. Again, it's a lifestyle. It's not something we do on a Sunday or something we do when we gather with all other saints or something we specifically do when we wake up in the morning and we say we are worshiping the Lord. Whilst all those things are important to do, they are not what what, uh, defines worship as it were. Worship is more about having 
a sacrificial reverence to God, a lifestyle that is sacrificially reverent unto God. And this is very important. Now, I want us to know that thanksgiving, praise, and worship all have elements of singing. But the, a, the body of Christ has made a mistake in a long time thinking that it has to always have to do with singing. So when people want to give thanks, thanksgiving, okay, at times people understand they can say it and pray it. But in most cases, when it comes to praise and worship, a lot of people find it very difficult to understand how to praise God and worship God outside singing. Now, singing does form part of it. Singing is an essential part of it. In a lot of places, we know that when we, can, when we sing, like we've just done, when we sing praises and we sing worship songs, we are in praise and worship. But like we said last week, these two things are much more about how we live our lives. For praise, it is much more, excuse me, it's much more about how we live our lives in thanking God, in how we live our lives, in celebrating his traits, in how we live our lives, in celebrating his works, and also his character. So whether that's in songs, whether that's in words that we profess, we praise him. But it is all about talking about him, exalting him. That is why we said thanksgiving is a form of praise, but thanksgiving in itself exists in itself for us to recognize what God has done. But when it comes to praise, we are recognizing who he is, who he is, what his traits are, what his works are, and what his character is. So that can be in songs, of course, but it doesn't always have to be in songs. We can always say it. We can always broadcast it. The Bible says, let them that seek you rejoice and be glad in you, and let them say continually, the Lord be magnified. He didn't say let them sing it alone. Let them say. So whether they say it in words or they say it in songs, they are praising. Hallelujah. And the same thing with worship. Worship is our yieldedness unto God in a lifestyle of reverence. It is, it is encompassing everything we have done so far. Thanksgiving, praise, they are all forms of worship. But over and above uh, thanking God for what he's done, praising him for who he is. It is about giving and yielding of a life to serve him, to honor him, to stand for him, to obey him, to do everything that is fulfilling the mandate of the very first commandment to man, that you shall love the Lord your God with your all. Hallelujah. I also want to correct this notion I have seen this many times, uh, especially when I was a part of a choir many years ago. And um, people tend to take fast tempo songs to mean praise and slow tempo songs to mean worship. Have you seen that before? They say, now let us, let us sing some worship songs. So they take a, any song, whatever it's saying, as long as it's slow tempo, they say that's a worship song. <laughs> that's not necessarily so. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Some praise songs are slow tempo. Some worship songs are, are fast tempo. Okay? What makes a song a praise song or a worship song is the lyrics in it. And most songs don't even stand in a class all by themselves. Most songs will, will have an overarching uh, component of worship, for example, but it will have elements of praise and thanksgiving. Some songs will, will be mostly about thanksgiving, but it will have elements of praise and worship in it. 
So how do you know these things? Because I want us to develop these things not just for our singing and our worship. This is why we are very, very, very emphatic on how we choose songs for our meetings. They are not just chosen for the sake of it. It is to reinforce the message. Every time our songs are selected on a Sunday-to-Sunday basis, they reinforce the message. All the songs we sang today have elements of worship as the overarching theme so that it can underpin the message and present to us a comprehensive view of God from both the understanding we have through those songs and particularly from Scripture. So it is very important. When we started, I, I led us in a song that says, Down at your feet, O Lord, is the most high place. Now, that is a slow tempo song, but it has praise in it. It is much more about worship. Every time you are talking about God, in thanksgiving, you are giving him thanks. Every time you are talking about him in any other way, about his person, his traits, his character, you are giving him praise. But every time you talk about I live to worship. You are talking about worship. It has to be what you are doing to him. That is worship. He is not worshiping us. <laughs> we are the ones worshiping him. So in our words, when we praise him or we give him thanks, we know we are giving him thanks, we are giving him praise. But when we talk about what we are doing in reverence to him, like that song says, down at your feet, O Lord, is the most high place. That is exalting him. That is praising him. In your presence, I see your face. That is now talking about your own encounter with him in worship. And so you are doing the same thing at the same time. You are praising him. You are worshiping him with that song. And so on and so forth. You can take any song. So anytime you take a song... And this is not just for the sake of our life singers, obviously. Every one of us, so that we can, we can have a more effective praise and worship life. Anytime you take a song, look at the lyrics. That's why some songs are very good to hear, but they are not biblical. That's why we avoid them. We don't sing them because they sound good, but they are not, they're not biblical. I told you about a song that talks about the age of God. I say, uh, any song that says God has age, as good as it is. I used to like the song. What's that song again? Ancient of days, as old as you are. Ah, I say that phrase just threw it out. Lovely song. Ancient of days. You know, you want to get into it. Then it says as old as you are. That killed it. Because God cannot be old. He was never young. So let's not call him old. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, again, that is a very little thing. The person sang it from the depth of their heart. But we have to always understand that it has to be perfect. It has to be exactly describing God. If the person said, ancient of days, as ancient as you are, maybe. Because that is part of his name. But the word old throws it off. With all due respect to whoever wrote it. And there are many songs like that. So, this is to emphasize because we can't talk about thanksgiving, praise, and worship and not really come to a place of understanding their role, uh, how songs play a key role. 60%, 70% of how we express these things to God are in songs. So we need to understand. So I, I task every one of you, take a song, look at the words, and start asking yourself, does this describe thanksgiving? Does this describe praise? Does this describe worship? Why? Because when you understand that, anytime you are in the spirit of that song, it is easier for you to use it to relate to God as you want to or as you desire to. Praise the Lord. So we need to understand this, 
Essentially, worship must have several elements, according to scripture. I will give you seven, as much as God helps me today. I can give you 70, but I, I will try and just give you seven today, because I was looking at the many things that scripture puts, and I felt, okay, let's concentrate on these seven, and uh, in the course of the week, I want to encourage those of you that don't join prayers in the mornings, uh, and now in the evenings, at least three, through this week, to please join, because there are many things that are shared over the week that were not necessarily things we could have covered on the Sunday. And also for Wednesday, uh, we go in deeper and look at these things. We need to learn these things so that we can grow by them. Uh, So I want to quickly read from Romans chapter 12, from verse 1 to verse 2. Romans chapter 12, from verse 1 to verse 2. Amen. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. Verse 2. says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to quickly tell you the first three things from these two verses. The first major element, go back to verse 1, thank you. The first major element of worship, verse 1, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. The first major element of worship is that we must base our worship on the mercies of God. The mercies of God. The first thing is to remember that we are objects of God's mercies. You see, if you do not understand and recognize this on a consistent basis, you cannot be a true worshiper. You and I can stand in his presence because of his mercy. We talk about God's grace. God's grace for salvation appeared to us. Our faith was released and we became born again. But you see, what gave us the right to be born again is God's mercy. That thing the Bible says triumphs over judgment. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22, it says, if if it had not been for the mercies of God, the house of Jacob would have been consumed. It is the mercy of God that kept us. It's the mercy of God that brought us. It's the mercy of God that is keeping us. David said, if you should mark iniquity, who will stand? He, he knows that very well. He knows that very, very well. Because he knows how much God invested his mercies in his life. A person who should have been killed by other people, but mercy preserved him. A person who should have been killed by a king, but mercy walked through the son of the same king to preserve his life. A person who should have been killed for, 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 for committing acts of adultery, act, an act of adultery, and an act of murder. And, and yet, mercy intervened for him. So he understood mercy. And we as a people, that is why he was a deep worshiper. That is why he could worship God so effectively. Until today, we are using a lot of his psalms to worship God together, to praise God and to give him thanks. We must be people who understand the mercies of God. Micah 6, 8 is one scripture I always quote for you. You don't need to turn to it, but write it down. It says, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Than to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You must consistently remember the mercy of God. I tell you, one of the things that brings pride is a, is, is an, is a, is, is, is a lack of acknowledgement of God's mercy. The more you think about God's mercy, the, more, the easier it is to be humble. 
The more you think about God's mercy, it's, the easier it is for you to also show mercy. When I see believers and people say, you don't know who you are talking to, and they puff up and do this, I say, this person has lost sight of God's mercy. I don't, an unbeliever, that's fine. They don't understand it. But a believer who is pompous and who is arrogant to other people or to God, for that matter, is clearly somebody who has lost the plot in terms of where they're coming from. In John chapter 8, when Jesus met that woman that was caught in adultery and that woman ran to her feet and people wanted to stone her and they wanted to stone her and they were about to use the law of Moses to stone her and, and Jesus did not argue with them. He said, okay, you say it is sin and it is punishable by stoning to death. If you are the first, if you are the one that has never committed a sin there, be the first to cast a stone. And thank God that was the generation where conscience was still working. I always say so. I tell you, I'm not quite sure. I've said this many times, and it's not heresy. You can, you can think about it yourself. I've said this many times that if it is this generation, I'm sure one person will still stand up and say, I have no sin. Because the extent to which conscience has been so seared. Now, how do we know this? When you look at the volume of things happening now and the way people do things with impunity, with a, as if conscience does not exist at all, I will not be surprised if one person came to argue with Jesus first. He said, I want to throw it. He said, what do you mean? He said, I have no sin. <laughs> I won't be surprised. I mean, we don't know more than God, but this is the reality. But thank God, conscience kicked in, and everybody knew that, no, I cannot throw a stone here. And one by one, they left. Now, what did Jesus say to her? He said, has anyone condemned you? Has no one condemned you? She said, none, Lord. He said, neither do I. That is mercy. Neither do I. Because I have the power too. Don't forget, he's the ultimate judge. We're all going to stand before him one day. Now that person was standing before him already before the ultimate judgment. He had a right to evoke the power of judgment on her. He said, neither do I. But do what? Go and sin no more. So mercy should free us up for worship. Mercy should always help us to see that we have been saved so that we can keep worshiping. So he said, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. That's number one. Then number two, it says, and you present, verse one again, you present your bodies. The word bodies there means everything about you. Please, Romans 12, one again. Everything about you. Present it again as a living sacrifice. So we must let our lives be on a total submission. Say sacrificially. Say with me, sacrificially. It must be on a total submission of sacrifice. Say sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. So it must be in a total submission of being sacrificial, being holy, and our presentation must be acceptable to God. These three things are important. The first thing there about sacrifice means that it must cost us something. We don't worship God out of convenience. We don't. We are a generation that wants to, to prioritize other things before God. He said, you will have no other gods before me. So anytime you put something before God, you are worshiping that thing. It may not be an idol carved in, 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 in one image like that. No. But anything you put above God automatically becomes the one you are worshiping. So we must understand that it is sacrifice whether it is of our time, whether it is of our money, whether it is of our life, our voices, our gifts, everything we have must always be sacrificial to God. 
Now, God did not just give me a ministry like this to have structured teaching. He did not just give it. Not everybody can do it. With all due respect to pastors and church leaders, people are gifted differently. Some people cannot function like this. They can only come on a Sunday and until they hit their pulpit, they don't know what to say. That's their gifting. That's their gifting. And it works perfectly for them because that is how God has called them and they function in it. But somehow, God has given me the mind to be able to structure things. I can plan 52 events at a sitting, just sitting and waiting on God, without stress, because it's part of what I do also as an academic. It's very easy for me. It's part of what I do in my work life as a project manager when I, pra- when I plan construction projects, complex projects. I can sit down and see how everything will fit together from A to Z very easily. So it's part of my training, part of my gifting, and so it is also part of what I am able to use to sacrificially serve God. So what I'm trying to say is that everything you have is something that must point to the service of God, to the worship of God. There is nothing you have that is not meant to end up ultimately glorifying God. Whether it is the sense to do something, or the money to do something, or the family you have, your marriage, your whatever, your car, anything. Let it always be that it glorifies God. Hallelujah. So number two thing is that we must be sacrificial. Then we must be holy. We cannot worship God in the flesh. We cannot be people who are keeping malice, anger, bitterness, and all kinds of junk, lust, and all kinds of filthy things, and say we come and lift up holy hands. Those hands are not holy when they are lifted from a heart that is polluted. Only only hearts that are lifted based on a heart that is clean, pure, sanctified, a heart that is humble, a heart that is willing to be submissive, can be referred to as holy. Psalm 15 says, who will ascend unto his holy hill, but he that has clean hands. It's not the one that used sanitizer to wash the hand. He's talking about a heart that is clean. A heart that is clean makes the hand clean. Hallelujah. Then it must be acceptable. We know from Cain and Abel's story in Genesis 4 that there was something God said to Cain. He said, if you have done the right thing, would your offering not have been acceptable? The right thing simply means God expects you. You see, what is right in you, for you to do in the sight of God with what he has invested in you is different from what is right for me to do in what he has invested in me. That's why the man with the five talents and the man with the two talents got the same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant in Matthew 25. Because the man with the five traded and got more. The man with the two traded and got more. The, the, the man with the five did not get a, a higher commendation than the man with the two because it is about what has been invested in them. So both are acceptable. My question to you is how are you making what God has given you and you're returning it to him in worship acceptable? Don't look at me as your standard. Don't look at your brother as your standard. I'm not looking at you as my standard. I'm not looking at another preacher as my standard. I'm not looking at another person as my standard. Because God has a race. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9.27, say, know ye not that every one of us is running a race. He said, run your own race in such a way that you shall obtain, not in comparing to others. You don't compare yourself to others. If there is anything to see from others, it is to tear one another up unto good works. That's what the Bible says. I encourage you, you encourage me, that's fine. 
But if I start to live my life in comparison to you, I will miss the mark because I may find myself shortchanging myself or stressing out myself unnecessarily. This is why people must understand. When you see ministries today that are losing focus, it is simply because people are trying to copy. Now, there's nothing wrong in copying anything good, if, especially if it is something that aligns with what you are doing. But is it something God wants you to copy? Or God just wants you to learn? He said, go to the ants, you slugger. Did he say, go and be living with the ants? He didn't say, now you go and be living with them. Hey, he said, go to them and learn. So you go to the ants, you learn, but that doesn't mean you pack your bag and say, I want to go and live in an ant colony because he said, I should go to the ants. So if he gives you something and he shows you something of somebody who is a worshiper, somebody who is doing what God has called them to do, you can learn one or two things, but you need to stay with God and understand how your own worship can be acceptable. Hallelujah. In the course of the week, we shared something on, on I, think, I can't remember the day now, because we share a lot in the week. I was saying to the people how God showed me the background of David so different from the background of Joseph, both loved by God. And then God would end up saying that this one that committed adultery and, and committed murder is the one after his heart. I said, but these are some mysteries, very deep mysteries. Why would it not be almost sinless Joseph? Because nobody is without sin. Why would it not be almost sinless Daniel? These two men, hardly did we ever hear anything about them in scripture that is, was offensive to God. Why would it not be one of those two? Why would it be this ruffian who, who yes, loves God, but yes, he was brute, stole somebody's wives, killed the person? Why would it be? Now, I'm not saying that we should, because of that, now live anyhow. But when you look at God and context, you understand. Then I started to see, I saw from the perspective of their fathers. I said, oh, this is where it has come from. Joseph had a loving father who gave him a lovely coat of favor. When Joseph is walking like that, he walks majestically. That's how he grew up. Joseph was a man who was, right from tender age, knew the love of a father. David was very different. The day he could walk, they sent him to the bush. Go and be pursuing sheep. To the extent that when they came to anoint a king in the house, Jesse did not talk about him. Not that he even said... Anything in the beginning, he said, he did not talk about him. He said, these are my sons. And Samuel just continued because God told him that's the house. So he continued until God said, it's none of these ones. Ah, Samuel said, there must be, because God cannot lie. There must be. That's when Jesse said, ah, there's one. <laughs> there's one like that. <laughs> there's one like that. Can you imagine? King David. <laughs> he said, there's one like that. He said, go and get him. Go and get him. And as soon as the man appeared, the young man appeared, God said to Samuel, arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is he. Hallelujah. So for somebody like that, who was coming from a place of reject and a place of being forgotten, to have a love for God, I believe, I believe, is one of those things that touch the heart of God. That naturally, a lot of people who have the love of the Father may do it easily. But people who, out of... Out, out of need, out of, out of rejection, out of difficulty, are serving are people who touch God. And this is why we believers must understand that every privilege we have to serve God must be used very well, must be used extensively well. So our, our worship must be sacrificial, holy, and acceptable. I'm just on point number two, because point number two has three things inside. That in, in itself can form a message. It must be sacrificial, Say sacrificial, I must be holy, and my worship must be acceptable to God. 
Say it. My worship must be acceptable to God. Now, if you are giving something that is not acceptable, believe me, if you are a child of God, you will know. You will know. It's just like simple offering or something. You want to put some money in the in the in the in the uh, this thing. You, the Holy Spirit will tell you, but you know that you that is that is way below you. Don't wrestle it. I just use money because that's something we can relate to easily. You want to pray, and you lie down on your bed. You are saying shakra kiki, and the Holy Spirit says, "What are you doing?" Say, what are you doing? Get up now. If you want to worship me, you get up and do it properly. You say, Lord, I don't worry, don't worry. That's not acceptable. Then you wake up in the morning and say, I prayed. You did not pray nothing. You prayed nothing. Don't deceive yourself. You get up and stand up. You walk about. And chase the devil away. <laughs> one of my sons showed me one of these things we, you can pedal, put under your desk to pedal and then be doing exercise. I think it came about, you know, this lockdown brought out many devices. They said because we don't walk about a lot, that those of us that sit, I can sit in my place. You know how these things are on the work day. At times, eight hours have not got up, I'm telling you. So they, you, you'll be pedaling under your own table. <laughs> So I bought one this week. I said, ah, this one is not just good for work. It's good for prayer. <laughs> so for about four days now, if you see me, when we are praying, I'm peddling. <laughs> I'm also peddling. <laughs> Anything to bulldoze this devil, I'll tell you. Every time I buy something for work, or the next thing I'm thinking, how can this help me with ministry? <laughs> That's my life. The moment I saw that it was very good, it helped to distress in the workplace. I said, ah, this is a good device, truly. Eh? I think I'll take the picture and put it in the WhatsApp group. All of you should go. <laughs> I said, this is very good for prayer. When those, those times you are trying to pray, your head is doing like that, you'll just be peddling. <laughs> Hallelujah. So number three, worship must involve continuous mind renewal. That's from Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2. Romans 12, 2 now. It must involve continuous mind renewal and transformation. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We say it must be acceptable by God. So for you to continue to make it acceptable, you must continue to allow your mind to be renewed. I always say this. When you got born again, your spirit man got born again. Your spirit man got regenerated. You became a new creation. But your soul, your mind, is something that must continue to die daily. John 3.30, John the Baptist said that he must increase and I must decrease. The first thing is he increase. That is what pushes you down. Don't try to decrease before he increases. So you build up your faith. He increases, then you find yourself going down. Many believers start to do it the other way around, then they struggle. They say, Lord, I just, I just want you to be big in my life, but I, I want to decrease myself. No, you increase him 
you will automatically be decreased. The more you understand the word of God, the more you see things from the position of God, the more you see things with the eye of God, the less you find the flesh taking control. So you feed the word of, you feed your spirit man and your soul with the word of God. You energize yourself with good songs and things and the word that will continue to uplift you so that you can continue to decrease while he is increasing. This is what makes that good and perfect will. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? Foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. They are foolishness to the natural man. Don't remain natural. It takes the spirit man, the, it takes a spiritual man to discern the things of the spirit. It takes a, a person who can understand a language to speak, that, to, to, to speak that language and communicate in it. It takes, have you ever been somewhere where you don't understand the language at all? You see how reliant you are on people who, who live there and who, who will have to be interpreting for you. It's very important. It takes the way to communicate in the spirit for you to be a person who can discern spiritual things. Verse 15 says, but he who is spiritual judges all things. He who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Verse 16, we say, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Somebody say, I have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5 says, so let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you. You allow the mind of Christ to be in you. You can read from verse 6 to 8. He said, for who, even though he was equal with God, he did not consider it robbery. He said he made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Then, verse 10 says, wherefore God highly has exalted him and gave him a name that is above every other name. Let that mind be in you, a mind of humility, a mind that always seeks not to have any reputation. The day God called me to ministry, and I saw that and in the ministry in this way, and I saw that verse. He said he made himself of no reputation. I said, Lord, this is the secret of being able to survive. A pastor that is holding on to reputation will continue to be angry. He will continue to be fighting because people will mistreat, they will mistreat you and maltreat you. I'm not talking about this church now because you're all very good people. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. You're all wonderful people. You don't treat your pastor badly at all. Hallelujah. But you know something? If you are called to be a leader, called to be a pastor, called to be a husband, a father, you must make yourself of no reputation. Does that mean you have low self-esteem? Far from it. In fact, that means you have good esteem. That means you, you recognize who you are and you are not ready to be engaging with the things that are in the level of pigeons and chickens because you are an ego. Somebody said if you are an eagle and any time you, you, you are flying and you are looking around and all you can see are chickens, pigeons, crows and those kind of birds that can't fly more than you know, a, a certain altitude, then you know that something is wrong. You are not flying where you are expected to be flying. Eagles don't see other birds in the air except other eagles. And at that realm, they are so confident of each other that they don't cross each other because they are few. They are few. They, they mount up with wings indeed, and they just go higher and higher and higher. They look for adverse winds because they know how to use it to climb higher and higher and higher. 
powerful birds. At times when they stretch out across their wings, is measured 10 feet, about 3 meters. When they stretch, big, beautiful, strong. And that is how the Bible says you and I should wait on God to be transformed, to keep mounting up with wings as eagles. Don't be staying at the realm of bitterness and all these little, little things. Make yourself of no reputation. You know what that means? Somebody looks at you and wants to pull you into a level of human interaction and human friction. You make yourself, the only thing that can reply them is your reputation. So when your reputation is dead, you have no reply for them. And like I always say, it takes two people to fight. It takes two people to fight. When I turned 50, God gave me a revelation. He said, anybody that wants to fight you again, from this your new age, anybody that wants to fight you again, tell them that you, ha- you are no longer a fighter. You have left fighting for the 40-somethings and the, <laughs> the 30-somethings and the 20-somethings. You are now an umpire. So when you come to me and you are trying to fight me, fight me, I'll say, who are you trying to fight, please? I want to understand because I have been promoted to umpire. <laughs> I'm no more, no more for fights, whoever you are. And it's been working for me two years now, almost two years. <laughs> Hallelujah. Make yourself of no reputation. It's not easy, but if Jesus did it, you will. The flesh will tell you, revert. The flesh will tell you, reply them. How can you let them get away with that kind of thing? Did you hear what they said about you? Did you you hear what they called you? The flesh will tell you, you need to pick up the phone now and tell them off. The Holy Spirit will say, make yourself of no reputation. It matters not. Believe me, it matters not. I always say this. If slander cannot kill Coca-Cola, I don't know why slander can kill. Since I was a child, people have been saying Coca-Cola has uh, 50 pieces of sugar in one, all kinds of things. They say it is used as engine oil. They say they use it to wash. Have you seen all those things about Coca-Cola? And it's still the most powerful soft drink on the planet. (laughs) The more they put those scandals out, the more people are drinking it. That is not, it's not anything, anything spiritual. I understand that their founding, member, their founding directors were Christians, but obviously things change a lot over time. And I learned from that simple company's story that you know something? Slander has no power to kill anybody unless the power that you give to it. So make yourself of no reputation. It helps your qualitative worship life. You find yourself being able to talk and worship God more freely because you are not holding on to the things that hold men. Number four, true Christian worship. We are now going into other verses. True Christian worship must therefore be in spirit and in truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's John 14, 6. But let's look at what happened between him and the woman in John chapter 4. The woman, uh, the Samaritan woman. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, worship the Father. The hour is coming. He said, you will worship, verse 22, you will worship, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Know what you worship. Verse 23 says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. The Father is seeking such to worship him in spirit and truth. Verse 24. 
Let's shout verse 24 together. Everywhere you are, all over, just read verse 24 with me. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit. God is not flesh. God is not carnal. So if you want to worship God, you must be a spiritual person. You must be born again, and you must live a dedicated, devoted life. A life that is devoid of those things that takes you out of the spirit. God is spirit, and those that, who worship him must. It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. <laughs> they must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's compulsory. So you and I, on a daily basis, Jesus said he is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. So they are governed by what the word of God says. Whether the words of Jesus himself or what was said in the word. The word of God is profitable for everything. We know from 2 Timothy 3.16. It's profitable for everything. Doctrine, reproof, instruction, correction. I think we've done a series like that before in righteousness. So you worship God based on the truth of the word of God, not based on the facts. The facts can tell you that you have been doing this thing for too long. You are, you are, you are suffering yourself. The, this, this thing called church is not, is not worth it. You are just wasting your time. That's the fact. But the truth says, do not neglect the assembly together of one another. Anything you find, and the enemy is telling you, this is what you should do. I say, you, you, you look for the truth and take that truth and use it to worship God. If you live your life by facts, you'll be misguided until you find the truths of the word of God and you allow the spirit of the word to come to you, you cannot be an effective worshiper. The woman said to him, verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell you all things. Jesus said to her, Verse 26, I who speak to you am he. Verse 26, I who speak to you am he. It's very important we understand. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The one that you are reading today about is he. Hallelujah. The word you are reading today is it. Don't let anyone tell you that there is more than the Bible. Modern day teachings and all kinds of people are trying to add things and qualify the Bible. I who speak to you am he, is all he has said. We don't need anything to validate it. We don't need the philosophies of man to validate the Bible. If they agree, that's fine. But we don't have to use philosophies of men and the doctrines of men and the psychology of men and all those things that people have invented over time to try to shock it for him. You don't, he doesn't need it. I who speak to you am he. There's no Messiah to wait for anymore. There's nothing outside this thing. I who speak to you am he. Has he not promised? Will he not make it good? Has he not said it? Will he not come to pass? I want you to be rest assured. Friends, you need to be living in a life where you understand the worship in spirit and truth. Something very unusual happened this morning. I can use it because none of you would know the person. Very, very unusual, I must say, this morning. I was driving to church. I had some conversations with Barashegun earlier to just make sure that um, uh, I was looking at, I was monitoring the temperatures from our, uh, the, our hive system, and I saw that we didn't have a good temperature 
early in the morning, the place would have been very cold. So I said to Prashegun, bless him. He, he comes here almost every time. I said to him, please kindly check the heaters for us to make sure that um, it won't be too cold by the time we get here at nine. And he, he came in earlier. And when he opened the gate, I think he had done what he needed to do. So he sat down by the CCTVs and then somebody drove in. Very strange thing. Somebody drove in and uh, just parked his car and started to ease himself against the fence in the hall, not, not outside, in the, in the um, compound, rather, in the compound on the car park. And he was like, am I seeing correctly on the CCTV? So he went out and he challenged the man and uh, a an fairly elderly guy, he said he's in his 70s when I spoke with him. And uh, Brashegu just went and shut the gate that he shouldn't go out, that he's calling his pastor. How can you come and do this guy? <laughs> so my phone rang. We were just at the corner. My phone rang and he said, Pastor, are you on the way? He said, somebody came and did it. I said, okay, just hold your peace when I get there. So when he drove me in, I said, Holy Spirit, just help me. So that, because what do I tell this kind of person? <laughs> and my brother is not happy at all as well. <laughs> so I looked at him. And when he saw me, he said, Pastor, he said, I was just pressed and blah, blah. He's an elderly man, English man. He said, I'm just pressed and I didn't know what to do. And, and I saw church. That was the funny thing. <laughs> so church is the right place to come and do that. <laughs> you could have come and knocked. And you use, the, you use a better place with more. You don't have to rush it or whatever. <laughs> I said, Holy Spirit, what will I tell this person now? <laughs> Mercy prevailed. I looked at him, I said, I just want you to assure me that you know that this is not correct. He said, yes. The moment he said that, my heart made, if he was going to argue for that, I would just say, Brazil, we'll lock that gate and let's get police. <laughs> I'm going to do service, but get the police people here. <laughs> you know, and uh, he now pleaded and he said he was really pleased. He wanted to go to the other side and he was explaining blah, 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 blah. But that when he looked at his whole church, <laughs> he said, at least this one kind of will have mercy on me. The truth is, anybody can be in that situation. That is the truth. I'm not saying it's good. Please, don't do that again, whoever you are. <laughs> Never, ever do that again. But we let him go, and uh, we just, you know, talked about it. But now we've laughed about this. And I'm not trying to be racist here by any means. But can you imagine if that was me with my skin color doing that in a church? that has other people. In our world today, I will hear things. I will be told, this is not Africa. They might even call the police for me. They will tell, I, I brought Corona. <laughs> I was by Pastor Moses. <laughs> I would hear things. As I said, this is not a racist chant, but this is the reality of what we deal with and how you must understand how mercy must always kick in. You don't treat people the way they treat you. You want to be a good worshiper? You want to be effective with God? That's why David held the spear like this. Saul was just a few inches away. David said, I can't do this. I can't. Saul would have done it without thinking. But David knew that Saul would have done it. But David came from a higher order of a worshiper, held despair and said, no, I can't do this. To prove to this man that I am of a higher order, I will cut his dress. 
his shirt and go with it and show him that the, all the time I used and the knife and everything I used to cut that could have killed him. But I'm coming from a higher level. This is what worshiping in spirit and truth means. Knowing that you are of the spirit, keep killing the flesh. Never revert in the ways that the devil will want you to revert. It makes you an effective worshiper. Hallelujah. Number five, our worship must be unalloyed. It means it must not be mixed. Only God deserves our worship. When, Paul was get, when John was getting the revelations about heaven in Revelations 19, verse 9, when he had the revelation about the marriage supper of the Lamb, an angel said to him, Right, blessed are those who, called, who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true saints of God. He heard these things. He was so awed. Verse 10, John was about to start worshiping the angel. Verse 10, Verse 10, the Bible says, and I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, look at this very well, brethren, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. What? Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Next week we will look at the testimony of Jesus and testimony. But the, the key thing there is worship God. I am a man like you. You see, the problem today in the body of Christ is that we mix respect and worship and we use them at random. People worship in some cases their leaders, their pastors, their, 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 their bishops, their geos. They worship them more than they worship God. Because when their geos tell them to do certain things, they don't even check the scripture. They just go and do it. And at times, the geo is just another human being who may miss it. We had all kinds of things in the last few years, in the last few weeks and months, in, 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 from, from America especially, with people prophesying all kinds of things. People can miss it. People can miss it. And human beings are human beings. So you are not permitted, and I'm not permitted to worship you. You are not permitted to worship me. Please don't kill me. No human being must worship another human being. He said, for I am your fellow servant. We are fellow servants. Worship God. Worship God. Now, respect is different. I have to respect you. You have to respect me. We have to respect one another. That is fine. The Bible says we should honor one another. We should submit to one another. All that is fine. Now, where the problem comes is where... We go each extreme to say, I don't want to be a worshiper of man. Then you disrespect everybody. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is irresponsible as well. You, I, don't want to, I don't want any pastor to say I'm worshiping them. Then you disrespect them. That is not right. That is still not right. Because there is a place for mutual respect, but there is a place where we understand that worship is reserved solely for God. Am I making sense? The Bible says that man said, worship God, for I am your fellow servant. So our worship must be unalloyed. The word alloy means in, in, in metallurgy, metal, this thing, two metals they bring together and, and, and melt them and make them another new piece. It must not be put together. You cannot worship God and mammon, Jesus said. You have to worship one or the other. Number six, because of time. The devil is always seeking to be worshipped. Every believer must know this. The devil is always seeking to be worshipped. He came to Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 5. He said, 
the devil taking him to a high mountain showed him the kingdoms of the world in the moment of time. And the devil said, all this authority I will give to you for the glory has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, verse 7, let's read verse 7 together. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Let's shout what Jesus said in verse 8. And that is what we must always say to anything that is seeking us to worship them by force. Verse 8. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. As I said, Matthew 6, 24, the Bible says, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will take, hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The devil is always wanting you to serve him. The devil presents many things. Today, the devil doesn't show like he showed in the Old Testament or like he shows in the way people depict him in films. He just occupies your time with social media, things that don't matter, things that are, those things take more. Look at your time at the end of the 24-hour cycle. How much of it went to God and how much of it went to watching Gaga and uh, Google? I don't know anyone like that, but if you, <laughs> how much of it did you spend watching Africa Magic? How much of it did you spend watching EastEnders and all the things that you, you watch on TV, which I'm not saying are bad in themselves, but you need to balance it. The moment those things are taking more of your time, the moment those things are taking more of your money, then you, can, you are not worshiping God. You can, save up, you can save up money and do things, but you cannot save up money. You cannot have a target to say, by the end of December, I want to have given God 5,000 pounds. But you can save to buy a cloth or buy a dress or buy do holiday. You can save to do those things. Who are you worshipping? Who are you worshipping? Are you worshipping God or mammon? That's how I plan my life. There is no way the things of this world can take more money in a year from me than the things of God. Impossible. Impossible. Not because I'm pastor in this church. This has been my life. This has been my life. I set those targets because those things make you Focus on God. You say where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. You are, you are, you put your, when you put targets for the things of God and the things that matter to God, you find yourself living in such a way that worship to God becomes natural to you. Friends, let us make up our minds. We want to enjoy supernatural overflow. This is what it is. Finally, number seven, we get to our main theme Today, where we read from Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, Pastor Moses led us earlier in reading from verse 8 to verse 25. Fairly long portion of scripture, a very well-known story. But the key thing here I want to say about this is that this man was forcing the children of Israel, the Jews, to bow down to a God he had made. He threatened them that if they did not worship him, he would put them in the fire. Let's go straight to verse 16. As a people who decided that they have to be, number seven, they, we have to be resolute. We have to refuse the threats of the enemy in our modern day. This is what they said. And I'll read from verse 16. Verse 16. Verse 16. Daniel three sixteen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, 
to the king. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, verse 17, if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Three things there. Number one, our God is able. Somebody say, our God is able. Say, our God is able. Say, and he will deliver. Then verse 18. Say, even if he does not, we will not serve other gods. You must get your worship level to this level. Whereby you know that he is able, he will deliver. But you know something? Even if he does not. That third one is what this faith generation don't like to do. We want to force him to do the second one. We want to force him to deliver by force. <laughs> and so we command, we command. I heard that somebody was commanding angels from Africa. And as, so Africa has angels like this. <laughs> To come and forcefully change something in, in America. Eh? I say Africa has angels like, if they have those kind of angels, it should have solved all the problems there. They, there is one president now in Uganda that is tormenting them, that is seriously not refusing, is refusing not to go. <laughs> those angels need to walk there much more than flying to America. <laughs> we can't force God to do anything. Let your life be that you've come to the place where you say God is all in all. He knows more than you and I. It is his sovereignty. Let God know that you respect his sovereignty. I have my plans every time. I have the ways I wish things can go. But the moment I pray and I say, Lord, have your way, I ever always say, but Lord, let your will be done. When I say let your will be done, I go to rest. Your rest and peace is in the will of God being done always. It makes your worship life most effective. We all know the rest of the story. These people experience supernatural overflow, not just by being rescued from the fire, but by being a people whose God was now commanded to be worshipped by the same king who was about to destroy their lives because they stood for God. If you want to be a, a worshiper that is experiencing supernatural overflow, stand for God. Refuse the threats of the enemy. We are living in a generation where we are threatened by all kinds of agendas to mellow down on what we preach, to mellow down on our standards, and to say those things. Now we walk in love and we love everybody. No Christian must ever condemn another human being. We are not into condemnation, but we must be free to say what we believe. We must be free to declare the word of God. Just declare it as it is. Just say it as it is. Don't be judgmental. The people did not say to Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not say to Nebuchadnezzar, you are a sinner. You are, you are bad. You are a wicked man. That means they are judging him. They just said, this is who we are. You have made a decree. This is who we are. This is our God. He is able. He will deliver. But even if he does not, we so trust him. We so rely on him that he is faithful. And the faithfulness of God came through. When you stand for God like that in worship, in your lifestyle, he comes for you. I say he will come for you. The Lord will continue to order your steps. 
I say we'll continue to order your steps in the mighty name of Jesus. Let's rise to our feet and just talk to God. Well,